It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer for a Thursday. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. Welcome all to another news discussion. Let's get to it. What are the chances the ever more powerful Ohio Republicans will abolish the state income tax? Lisa, we've been talking about this in Ohio since the days of John Kasich, really. Uh, And it's an intriguing idea. Lots of people oppose it, say it's bad. But what are the chances we'll actually get to it? Well, Republicans have always kind of been for abolishing the state uh, income tax. Uh, Senate Bill 327 was sponsored by one third of the GOP members of the Ohio Senate. And this bill, which has been sitting around for about a year, um, will cut non-business income tax by 10% a year for 10 years. Um, It will be taken up, not in this lame duck session, so it will be taken up by the 2023 supermajority legislature. Um, The thing with uh, the state income tax, it generates $10.8 billion a year. So the question becomes, how do you replace that? You know, and most of the money, you know, that would be lost would be coming from the 50 billion general revenue fund that's been 50 billion for the last couple of years. And that's where most of the cuts would occur. So 40% of the general revenue funds would have to be cut to make up for the loss. And that's about $23 billion. That's about what's earmarked for primary and secondary education in the general fund budget. Other things that would get hit hard, higher education, health and human services, prisons, and local governments could lose up to $1.8 billion. So this would require a significant shrinking of government services. According to Jack Schiller, who's with Policy Matters Ohio, he calls this wildly irresponsible. He says that, you know, the education losses would fall to local property owners, most likely, and in form of increased taxes. And Greg Lawson with the conservative-leaning Buckeye Institute, uh, he's a fellow there, It's a he says, He says it could be done in a prudent fashion, but he says they need to determine what that prudent fashion is. So the other way you could make up for this $10.8 billion is to raise taxes. You know, um, it was done previously, as you said, by Governor Kasich in 2013. He raised the state sales tax to the current 5.75%, and that created a 10% tax cut. So basically what's happening is they're moving from taxes from income taxes to consumption taxes. So that would mean taxes like uh, the commercial activity tax, cigarettes and tobacco, insurance policy taxes, the fracking severance tax. So they would really have to look for, you know, and that would be, um, I think they would have to raise the tax rate by four points to make up for this loss. You know, I maybe it's because I've been a journalist for 40 years, but I'm a big believer in choking government. We've all seen government squander enormous sums of money. The Cuyahoga County Council has squandered 115 million just in the past year, as we've detailed. So I I'm I like this idea. I know Zach Schiller saying, oh, it'll cripple it'll cripple services. But when I lived in Florida, didn't have an income tax and the government had to be lean. They had to operate lean. They had an influx of residents bringing some cash, but, but Ohio governments don't have never really been forced into austerity or efficiency. And it's frustrating. You know, it's like colleges and universities never have had the same kind of efficiency efforts that we've all had in the, in the for-profit business world. 
So I like this idea. I just, it does, you do wonder how these guys would cut. I mean, would they cut all the services to poor people right. so that they can continue to take care of their pet projects? But I, the only thing that reigns in government is limiting the dollars. Otherwise, we have abuse. Well, in Texas and, of course, in Houston, I think the, the sales tax rate is like 8 point. I, I could be wrong. It might be higher now, but it's like 8.25%. So that's about almost three points higher than it is here in Ohio. But it's, you know, we don't think about it because we've never had in state income tax in Texas. So you just pay the sales tax and you just move on. So I don't know. It would be a hard switch to make. And $10.8 billion is a big gap. Yeah. Well, and and if go you go ahead, to sales taxes, I mean, that's a regressive tax, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's going to hit poorer people harder. And and saying that it's going to affect local governments, you just think back to the Kasich days, right? What happened when they the state government needed money? They cut in half the local government fund and took away money from the cities, millions and millions of dollars from the cities. And that was originally created in the 30s when they started a state sales tax. So I mean, they took away that, and that was the agreement. We're going to give money to the city. So they took that away. Now they're going to take away this. Like, I think there needs to be a much bigger discussion of where, I I, I agree with you, Chris, like they do need to look at austerity measures, but they need to look at what's fair and which pockets are being taken money out of and where it's all going. Yeah. I just don't think we've ever seen real efforts at efficiency in government. And if everybody has to work on a tighter budget. You just might get a more productive use of the money. It's an interesting proposal. They've been talking about it. We'll have to see if they can pull it off. And like you said, Laura, the result was we all increased our local taxes to make up for the losses to from the state government fund, which- Right. Now we all pay more in income tax to the cities, right? Like Cleveland went up a, a half a percent and everybody went on the ballot to ask people to raise their taxes. Okay. It's today in Ohio. We've been talking for a week about nearly $2 million in bonuses that former Metro Health CEO Akram Boutros awarded himself without the knowledge of the Board of Trustees. And now we know how he unilaterally measured himself to decide on those bonuses. Layla, what's the story there? So we, we finally got a hold of the supplemental documents from the investigation into Boutrous's bonuses, and they lay out exactly what metrics he used to grade his own performance each year and, and what scores he gave himself. And, you know, when we look at the metrics he chose, what jumps out to us is that a number of them stem from the social justice issues that Boutros championed, things like responding to the opioid crisis and expanding the hospital system's reach in the community, and really notably creating the Institute for Hope, which was set up to address the social determinants of health. When Boutros launched the Institute for Hope in 2019, it was accompanied by these rousing speeches about the importance of connecting patients and people to fresh food, stable housing, education, career training, and all this other stuff, because those instabilities give rise to poor health in the community. I mean, he got standing ovations everywhere he spoke on these topics. But when you look at his self-assessment and the fact that he monetized these achievements for himself. It gives you this kind of icky, gross feeling that, I don't know, perhaps he was motivated by the bonuses. 
So the documents show that he graded himself between 85% and 100% most years for meeting the goals that he set for himself. And in 2017, for example, he gave himself 100% of the supplemental bonus for being part of the acquisition of hospitals in Parma and Cleveland Heights, including creating their emergency departments and forming the hospital's community development arm, which is called CCH Development Corporation. And the following year, his self-assessed score dropped to 60. That was because he had ongoing but incomplete projects in the works, like creating the Care, Innovation, and Community Improvement Program to combat the opioid epidemic, helping to lead efforts to reduce the number of opioids that Metro Health doctors were prescribing, and, and helping to design the new community hospitals and clinics being implemented. But in the following years, his score really bounced back. He gave himself 85% in 2019 for finishing the implementation of the Community Improvement Program and taking over the medical contract for the jail after all those inmates died um, and things like that. And, and also for being named one of the world's most ethical companies. Ironic, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing that I, I, I think you don't want to lose sight of, because anybody that's ever worked knows this, you don't get to define your own standards and then rate yourself without oversight. That That's just where abuse happens. He His boss was the board of trustees. His, his justification for what he did is the board of trustees said, we're putting you completely in charge of this bonus program. And so if I'm completely in charge, I can give myself my own ratings. But come on, anybody that's worked knows that's preposterous. Everybody has oversight. And I think the board's natural presumption would be if he's doing this, he would run it past them. Hey, by the way, I'm in this program. Here are the standards I'm measuring myself against. And here's how I rate myself, which results in this much money. Anybody got an issue with that? And he never mm -hmm. did that. They just didn't know. They approved an aggregate amount of the bonuses. We should say, I think you, you mentioned this, the story says this, that he used the same standards right. for himself as he used for his executive team. But, but he, he was the one measuring his executive team. They, well, they didn't just arbitrarily say, I get this much money, right? Yeah. Well, and 70, 70 of these top officials are graded on the same metrics, but none of them received higher than 47%. He was the only <laughs> one who, no one's, no one's star shines brighter than Akron Boutros's in this, in this system. But his, he was the only one who claimed success for the passage of House Bill 111, which allowed Metro to expand its services outside of the county. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, only six others were credited for the community improvement program. So, so you know, it's interesting because it's not just the self-assessment that is part of what seems so abusive of the system, but but it's creating those metrics for yourself because you can leave off the stuff you didn't you didn't do well, right? You just put yeah. on you just put the metric you design the metrics around what you actually achieved, and you are going to ace it. So, look, we're <laughs> in the middle of our our own annual review process right now. Everybody who's a manager is going through the standards that we've all agreed upon. We're having conversations about how everybody did and nobody does it on their own. I will be reviewed ultimately by the president of the company. Laura will be reviewed by me. I mean, Laura will then review others. I mean, it's like, that's the way it works. You have to have an objective 
third party looking at it. You can't just say, yeah, I give myself a hundred percent here, $400,000, please. It just, (laughs) none of this, none of this works. And every time we peel back another layer of the onion, it's bad. And look, we keep saying it, the board did not do its job. And I really do wonder if the CFO was paying any attention because they have a fiduciary duty to the institution that, you know, they work for Akron Boutros, but they have a responsibility to the institution. Why weren't they speaking up? Why weren't they saying, you know, is there any review of this Akron? Who, who's, who's looking over your shoulder? You're looking over mine. And to just say, well, they gave me full authority. I don't think that's going to, going to pass muster. It's an interesting story. Check it out. It is on cleveland.com. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has said repeatedly that his top priority in Ohio is children. So where does he stand on a far-reaching move to overall who oversees the school system by pretty much abolishing the state school board? Not entirely, but it would have very few duties left. Laura, does Mike DeWine support this? Yes. And to him, this is an obvious move to support. He says, I think virtually every governor for 40 or 50 years has wanted to have more control in regard to the Department of Education. So this governor is not going to be different. So he kind of makes it sound like this isn't even something to think about. Of course, I want more control over education. So yeah, this would gut the powers of this state board of education, most of whom are elected by the people of Ohio and give his office more oversight of education. It would also sandwich it in with workforce. And so it would be the Department of Education and Workforce with two divisions, one for primary and secondary education, one for workforce training, and the cabinet official would oversee this department. So he he's all for it. And he says that it would be an improvement because there would just be one person in charge. Well, why, um, <laughs> why maintain the school board at all if we do this because they would still be around for like teacher certification or something but what's the point why not do what some other states do and have a department of education it's a cabinet position it answers to the governor and if people feel like the governor is politicizing education they can throw them out yeah Mm because we do that so well in ohio um well i don't i don't really know why they want to keep it around maybe they just thought it would be easier to swallow for for people uh this the board would exist. It would oversee educator licensing, select the superintendent of public instruction for the state. But that person would just be a secretary to the board and an advisor to the Department of Education and Workforce leader in the governor's office. So, I mean, the problem is we haven't had a real state superintendent in something like 15 months. So the board, this is not the board's shining moment, okay? They have right, had but, a whole lot of issues. But, but let me push back because we haven't had what I would call a bad governor in Ohio in a long time. You, you know, Strickland and Kasich and DeWine, they were generally well-meaning who, who were serving the people. So if you look at the last two years of shenanigans on the school board where they were injecting their politics into the curriculum, that's a disaster because everything about education should be focused on education. And I'd have a lot more trust in Strickland, in Kasich, and in DeWine to make sure that you you have rigor there in what this the education department is doing. I, I, I mean, do you want to continue down the path we've seen the last two years where we have these loons? I mean, look at it. They picked a state superintendent who had a major ethics conflict that we had pointed out 
they hired him anyway. Yeah. That's, that's what the school board did. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think Mike DeWine would have picked a guy who had a conflict of interest. Mike DeWine asked people to step down from the State Board of Education because they supported, you, you know, no, something that. That's not why. He did it because the, the legislature told him, we're not going to confirm them. Okay. But brought, why? Okay. I just. So, I think he has been, I, I don't have any, any problem with the wine. And I think you have seen a whole lot of issues with the state school board. But in the most recent election, T-shirt union got involved and elected some more reasonable people to it. And I just look at the way Ohio is going. We talked about the new, very conservative speaker of the house. And I don't know that we will always have a middle of the road mm-hmm. governor. And I don't think that people are going to vote just on an education issue when it comes to voting for governor, because there's a whole lot of things that go into the job. They're going to be looking at jobs. They're going to be looking at whether, you know, they're partisan. They're going to be looking at abortion. That's a huge issue in Ohio. And I just don't think that even if they're doing something crazy in education, that's necessarily going to mean that voters are going to kick them out. But the teachers union poured money into those campaigns. So I'm not sure you do have more reasonable people. You have people that are now very much catering to teachers. Is that about the education or is that about making sure teachers well, have I'd good rather contracts? have people care more about teachers than care about teaching about race education. Right. But if, if Mike DeWine is picking the head of the department, you don't have confidence that you're going to have somebody focused on education? I believe Mike DeWine cares about education. I don't know who the next governor is. And this is, we're talking about a 2025 change. So, I mean, that's three years in the future. We're going to have another governor, you know, a year after that. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Are the dollar signs falling from the eyes of Ohio suburbs that thought they could collect some pretty big cable franchise fees from streaming services like Netflix and Hulu? Lisa, this seemed like a great idea by the suburbs to generate some more money. But it just didn't happen. The Ohio Supreme Court issued a ruling on a federal class action suit that was filed by Maple Heights and 2,000 other communities that were seeking franchise fees from streaming services Netflix and Hulu. And this this uh, case is currently in federal judge James Gwynn's court, but he forwarded it to the Ohio Supreme Court to settle two issues. The first, the biggest issue is are Netflix and Hulu video service providers? You would think they are, but a 2007 law uh, imposed a fee that's equal to 5% of gross revenues in each city that predates both Hulu and Netflix streaming. But the Supreme Court ruled that the law requires uh, companies with wires and cables in public rights of way must pay these franchise fee, not content that's delivered via the internet. So in the opinion, which was unanimous, Justice Michael O'Donnelly wrote that, you know, the equipment in question here for streaming services belongs to the customers, not to Netflix or Hulu. And then the second question was whether Maple Heights even had the authority to sue. The Supreme Court found that they lacked the authority under law, and the the opinion said that the legislature knows how to grant local authority, but they didn't do so in this case. So the ruling goes returns the case to James Gwynn's court for final adjudication. You do wonder why the legislature is not passing a law to do this. And let's face it. Anybody who subscribes to Netflix, to Hulu, to any of them, they're doing business with them. I mean, you're, you're paying, you're, it, you don't get it through your cable subscription. You're paying Netflix. You're paying Disney+. Plus. So why aren't they taxing that? I mean, it seems like an easy one because that's now how people watch television. 
Uh, I mean, I get the Supreme Court saying, yeah, you don't have the mechanism now, but then you got to sit back and say, well, why don't why don't we? You know, we're talking about abolishing the income tax, getting a tax on the streaming services that are making a lot of money in our communities would be a way of generating. Seems like a giant loophole to me. Quite honestly, I mean, it's basically predicated on physical wires and cables in a right of way. I mean, so, yeah, I think this is just a a question of legislature catching up to technology. Okay, it's today in Ohio. Should anyone be surprised that Ohio Senate President Matt Huffman supports Frank LaRose's move to make Ohio less democratic by taking power away from voters? He is the guy, after all, who was key in thwarting the voters' will regarding gerrymandering. Layla, what's his position on making it harder for citizens to change the state constitution? Of course he supports this proposal. Surprise! (laughs) This proposal would require a proposed amendment to the state constitution to get 60% approval in a statewide vote that compare that to the current 50% plus one vote threshold. He says times have changed. 100 years ago, the idea was that, you know, the people should be permitted to, to force change upon a government that wouldn't yield to the wishes of the people. But Today, Huffman says state government is more accessible and transparent <laughs> than it used to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he, uh, I, mean, I don't know, maybe some state governments, but not ours. And he says that the constitutional amendment process has basically been hijacked by special interests. He pointed to the 2009 amendment in which a group of casino interests enshrined a permanent gambling monopoly in the state constitution. That amendment even included the exact locations of the permitted casinos. So Huffman is saying the process isn't being used as it was initially intended. So I guess it should be made more difficult to achieve. The voters approve that. More than half the voters. That's what democracy is about. I know. Look, it's like- look it, you can almost say this is a massive conspiracy to, to disenfranchise Ohioans. First, they yeah, disobey they, the will of, of the voters, is. but they disobey the will of the voters to create fair districts. So they remain horribly gerrymandered, not representing Ohio in the way Ohio is, the one mechanism people have to overcome the tyranny of the gerrymandered government, which is what we have now, is to change the Constitution and force it down their throats. And they're trying to stop that. This is the most undemocratic proposal we've seen yet. I mean, it was undemocratic to do what they did with gerrymandering. And Huffman was key. And Frank LaRose, Secretary of State, was key. They're taking it up a notch. And you just have to hope that Ohioans realize by voting for this, you're giving away your ability to control your government. Right, right. I mean, so his support means that the state legislature is is more likely to move this along. If they approve it, the next step is for it to go to voters during the next statewide election. So we're talking as early as May 2nd. And that would definitely be in time for it to influence the outcome of really important potential constitutional amendments like abortion rights. I mean, and, and for example, you know, Michigan voters last month approved abortion protections with 55% support, that would not have passed in Ohio under these new guidelines. So hopefully voters will find this 
affront to the principles of democracy so offensive that they'll reject it out of hand? Well, not just that. I think this could have long legs. Anybody who was behind this move could be tarred forevermore. These guys all want to be higher up politicians. La Rosa is rumored to be running for the Senate. And this could stick to them. When you have groups like the League of Women Voters going, whoa, stop. This is as undemocratic as it gets. And you rally voters against it. People running against these guys can use this. You know, Frank LaRose, the most undemocratic of state leaders, don't vote for him for the U.S. It'll, Senate. It'll and, be another, I mean, it, it won't be right away. And people's right. memories are short. And yep. also, can you wait to see what kind of ads they come up with? If they're going to make Jennifer Bruner, like, trying to put criminals on the street to, like, hurt your child, what are they going to come up with to say about this one? Yeah, I don't, I, this one is so in the face of democratic, government that I, I think this could blow up in their faces. Look, this is what happens when you have gerrymandered power and super majorities. It goes to your head and you, and you just get more and more greedy until it collapses on you. I think this is the move that co- could cause that. Cla- it's so ridiculous a move. You know, the, the, the majority of Ohioans want a Roe v. Wade state and this, this minority of people that don't want us to have that are going to rig the government to block it. I, I just, I don't think regular Ohioans, even those who voted for Trump, are going to agree to give up their right to governance. I, if, you know, if we do, we're moving into a fascist that, state. That Hearing like, you say that, Chris, is like Groundhog Day. Like, you say, <laughs> you say that about everything. You're like, I'm an optimist. Gerrymandering is the thing. Ohioans are never going to stand for this, you know, complete abuse of what their will was when they passed that. No. No. Well, no, I, I don't think I, we haven't seen a vote on that yet, though. I think there'll be another system put before voters and they'll prove it. No, but they all of the players skated right on through to reelection. Nobody just, took well, a hit true. for that. It yeah. just reminds me of the quote in the Derek Marin story that Jeremy wrote about um, he does what the right thing is, whether it's popular or unpopular. And like the whole point of a democracy is that what you're doing should be the will of the people. It should be popular. Frank LaRose is just super bad news. He is the one of the worst people on the political stage right now and leading this charge. It's just so scummy. Didn't say a word about it before election day when he was running for re-election. But once he got re-elected, he comes out with this nonsense. It's Today in Ohio. Mental health issues were a problem before the pandemic, but have jumped dramatically during the pandemic. What does Governor Mike DeWine plan to do to help people in distress? Laura. He wants to put millions of dollars towards expanding services and research and job development. And he wants to put this proposal to lawmakers next year as part of his state budget plan. So we don't know exactly how many millions of dollars he's talking in total. This was just his announcement that he intends to do this. But it will include building a new behavioral health research hub in the state, conducting a quote unquote landmark study of the root causes of mental illness and addiction and ensuring that Ohioans can get a full range of mental health services services wherever they live. So he also renewed his proposal that he put forth earlier this year to use $85 million in federal coronavirus aid for paid internships and residencies for aspiring mental health workers, because we know it is hard. There's never enough services in this field, and it's hard to get people into it. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Ohio State University is notoriously lacking in transparency, despite being a public state university with state funding. 
So should we be surprised, Lisa, by how little we know about the reasons for the announcement that the OSU president is leaving just two and a half years into the job? And is retiring Senator Rob Portman interested in taking on the job? So yes and no would be the the quick answer to that. But yeah, uh, OSU President Christina Johnson on Monday announced her resignation via letter, did not give any reasons, not even more time with family. Um, So, but in the wake of her not saying what's going on. Media reports have been speculative. So there have been some reports that this was the result of an outside investigation by the board of trustees. And then there were other reports that said she was asked to resign after staff reported concerns to the outside consulting firm that was doing her performance review. But OSU spokespeople say that it was Johnson's call to resign. And by the way, this performance review was not completed before the board became aware of Johnson's intention to resign. So uh, this was never completed. So she does, she has an incomplete review. But they did praise her many accomplishments, increased research and development focus, increase in tenure, increasing tenure track faculty to 350 to reduce class sizes, improving OSU and the U.S. News and World Report rankings. So she did some great things. But why she left? We do not know. I'm sure that Cleveland.com and Plain Dealer is trying to dig up the facts there. But as for outgoing U.S. Senator Rob Portman, he said he was asked, you know, approached by non-OSU people to become the next president. But he said he's not interested, although he is a big fan of Christina Johnson. Yeah, I, it just every time we deal with Ohio State, they they use subterfuge and things to block it. Something happened here. You don't leave after two and a half years. That's mm-hmm. bizarre. Uh, there's something, and, and the number of rumors going around, I won't mention them because they're defamatory, but the the stuff that I was hearing just yesterday was so over the top. And that's what happens when you're not transparent. I mean, we had the similar situation with Metro Health. They weren't going to release the report about why they had fired Akambutros, re-raised hell. They released it. Everybody understands it now. And it helped clear the air. Ohio State should clear the air. There are so many people that care about this university. They owe it to them to say what happened, but they play these games. It's just like with the, you know, the sex offenses in their wrestling department and things yeah. like that. They really try to block anybody from knowing and what's going on. I don't know if on. it's a barn burner reason. I mean, because she's staying on until next May. So, I mean, she's going to continue, you know, and finish out the academic year. So it's not like they're trying to, you know. And they said it was her call. So we'll have to dig and see what the facts are. Yeah, we will. It's just, it it leads to really specious speculation that's probably worse than the real reasons because they're so darn secretive. It's today in Ohio. That does it for Thursday. We got one more day discussion this week about the news. Come back tomorrow. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Laura.